secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society and we are as a people inherently and historically opposed to secret societies to secret oaths and to secret proceedings our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside of this world. We must guard against the military-industrial complex. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! The power they took from the people will return to the people. The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. Shall I tell you what I find beautiful about you? You are in charge of the best when things are worse. Sooner or later, though, you always have to wake up. Be skeptical, but don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time, please make yourself at home. I want to thank you, as usual, very member, for making our truth journey a reality. Please subscribe at VeritasRadio.com to listen to all segments of tonight's interview and all of our material. And I'm happy to report that Sanitas Radio has a launch date. Tuesday, October 1st, 2013. We have a great lineup of guests that will focus on mind, body, and spirit to be healthy and live longer. That's the goal. Sanitas will do for health what Veritas is doing for the truth. Remember, this is a separate project with its own subscription, and I hope I can count on you. Visit sanitasradio.com for updates. 
And to get in touch with us for member support, media inquiries, you want to be a guest or are a whistleblower, there's a link for you by clicking on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. Did you know that your thoughts are not your own? Mind control is a documented fact. The control of the actions and emotions of an unsuspecting victim has been a reality since at least the 1950s. Tonight, we will discuss the origins, propaganda, and the objectives and architects of mind control. And for this, and much more, and to help us take our thoughts back, Neil Sanders is tonight's special guest, right now on Veritas. This is Andrew Johnson, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Neil Sanders holds an MA in Film Studies, studies psychology and media production for his BA in Honors, and is a qualified hypnotherapist. Neil is considered an expert on the subject of mind control and has been studying the history of this dark art and its application by military and government intelligence agencies across the globe for many years. Neil has appeared on several television shows and made numerous radio appearances in Europe and the United States and is the author of Your Thoughts Are Not Your Own, Volumes 1 and 2. And to learn more about Neil Sanders and his work, visit his website, neilsandersmindcontrol.com. And directly from Nottingham, England, the land of Robin Hood, I would like to introduce Neil Sanders. Hello, Neil. Welcome to Veritas. How are you? I'm very well. Thank you, Mel. Thank you very much for having me on. It's my pleasure. Yesterday, I was telling you, I saw your presentation at our friend, our mutual friend, uh, Andrew Johnson's uh, lecture, and I really enjoyed it. You discuss so many things that people might be subconsciously aware, but not consciously aware. So right from the beginning, I must ask you, what led you to this road of, of questioning reality? Um, well, I mean, I've always sort of, sort of found, uh, like the mainstream media to be uh, a lie, really. I wasn't very taken by sports, particularly, and um, fashion and all these things. And all these things that people are getting very excited about, I'm sort of wondering why. And then um, for university, I basically studied psychology, learned a bit about this, this sort of human mind and how it works and how things can go wrong. And just by luck, I was also studying sort of advertising and um, media production, and started to notice how a lot of this is, is really the two disciplines tend to cross over an awful lot and in, in sort of scenarios that you wouldn't immediately think of, like the font or the color of the background or the imagery that's used in, in seemingly very sort of uh, innocuous and, and, and innocent advertising campaigns. There's an incredible amount of thought that goes into that because of this, the, the responses that, that your brain has, particularly your subconscious mind to stimuli that you might not be consciously aware of, but, um, you know, it, it, it draws certain feelings. And, and one of a, a good example of that is uh, primary colors, things like very bright yellows and reds and stuff like that. They tend to give you an idea of either danger or uh, effectiveness, like very, very powerful. A lot of um, tools and stuff like that are colored with yellow, you know, sort of sledgehammers and stuff like that. Um, JCBs and, and, you know, the large earth moving uh, machinery just gives that idea of, of sort of power. Um, Burger King and places like that, they have red and yellows and whites and blues because this affects your subconscious. It makes 
your synapses fire quicker. So you get in there, you make a snap decision. You don't think too much about what you're buying because then you go, oh, my God, this is horrible, actually. You buy it very quickly and then you get out of there. Um, and, and, you know, this, this can be used in, in advertising. One particular example is in medicine. If you've got a, a medicine that's supposedly very strong or very dangerous or wants to give the impression that it's particularly effective, it'll be red and yellow. Like we have these things called, in, uh, in England, we have certain flu tablets and um, the strong ones are all red and yellow because it gives you the idea. Weed killers are all red and yellow because it gives you the idea in your subconscious that basically, wow, this is not to be messed with. This is, you know, this will be a potent substance. Whereas... Um, Sleeping tablets are often blue or pink. And it basically, in experiments, what they, where they've had, say, sugar pills, they've done double, double blind experiments, giving people completely, um, uh, they're just sugar, they're, these tablets. They don't have an effect. Uh, and um, dependent on the color, very often people expect a result from what, they expect, from what they're given. So if they're given um, a, a blue tablet, they'll say, yeah, it's making me feel a bit drowsy. If they're given a, a red tablet, they'll, they'll suggest that it's got sort of an, an amphetamine-type quality. Uh, furthermore, if you've got, say, uh, a sleeping tablet, two identical sleeping tablets, one's coloured red and one's coloured blue, the blue one will be more effective. Regardless of the actual um, chemical compounds that are involved, the placebo effect of that colour is strong enough to actually affect you. And so all of these things are sort of taken into, uh, into mind with the construction of, of advertising. Um, from then on, I went on to do um, an MA in film studies, and it was a similar sort of thing, the construction of genre, um, uh, how everything is constructed, how language is very important in, in portraying ideologies to people and, and, and um, character building and stuff like that. And all the sort of the tacits of genre and the tacits of uh, um, main characters, they, they tend to come from some sort of Jungian archetypes, the concepts of a hero or a heroine, that sort of thing. And, and you tend to apply yourself to, to the, the, uh, the sort of protagonist of the piece. And that's where you get your enjoyment out of it. Uh, and this was always just combined with an interest in things like, I was very interested in the Kennedy assassination because that's, you know, it's absolutely blatant. That, uh, and then obviously 9-11, uh, another very, very obvious um, terror, uh, no, uh, false flag operation uh, the, the official story is clearly not what we're being told and from then on i just got into investigating it more and more um and finding out different facets of it and just discovering that the actual topic of mind control is huge it, it's not just manchurian candidates and assassins and that sort of thing which it is that sort of thing you know that there are uh, there's certainly that element of it uh, but it, it's more the more I look into it, the, none of these uh, practical applications of mind control that people might be familiar with, you know, hypnosis, um, um, mind control weaponry, um, silent sound, the Manchurian candidate, assassins and, and uh, people like that going into schools and killing children, uh, without the sort of social controls and the, and the sort of the, the use of the media and just the use of, of people's own innate um, sort of sensory um, abilities and stuff like that uh, and instincts just to control people get people into groups get people interested in things that are completely pointless and and, and uh, facile and and just making getting people's lives so het up that they haven't got the, the time to even begin looking at at, at, uh, at the more broader aspects or or even the more sort of the more acute aspects of 
of how we're being tricked every single day. I think it's important to go in, in chronological order because many people who listen to us may be thinking, this is just conspiracy theory. But yeah. I want to give you some facts, folks. And w can we say that a lot of the beginnings of this came from Tavistock, from Edward Bernays. I want to oh, take yeah. you back. I, I interviewed uh, Dr. John Coleman not too long ago, and we discussed oh, this great. in detail. But let, let's go back to, to the Tavistock, uh, Edward Bernays, and the, the effect that he had. Because he said he's the father of, of public relations. He strongly believed that the masses should be manipulated at the subconscious level in order to promote the survival of democracy, when in fact is the established hierarchical order of the elite. Take it from there. Well, absolutely. I mean, and two of the most powerful tools that he found for, for utilizing this was um, the American motion picture and later television um, and the media. He, he utilized the press release, um, along with Ivy Lee had tried this as well, but he was more successful um, the, than him. And Bernays essentially utilized the press release as an advertising um, uh, element, as an agency of, of promotion. And propaganda, um, and we'll come, we'll come on to that in, in a second. Um, where Edward Bernays got his start was actually in Wellington House. There was two propaganda houses called Crew House and, and Wellington House, and John Coleman may have spoke about this. And their essential job was to um, try and persuade the American populace that they wanted to go to war and also to create propaganda. Uh, I believe there were, there were, he was connected to Lord Northcliffe, who was behind the Daily Mail and certain other uh, newspapers in England. So immediately we can see the, the sort of cross-connection of, of media. One of the, um, the things that they actually used was, was the use of language. They started describing anybody that was, that was vocally opposed to America's joining the Second World War as um, isolationists. And it's, um, you know, they were, they, they, and this, this concept of deserters or cowards or chickens or anything like that, they also basically softened off the wars later on by referring to casualties as, um, or civilian casualties as collateral damage or uh, it's a regime change rather than an invasion, that sort of thing. So, so Tavistock was, was very involved with that. And um, the two people that were, were sort of key to, to this um, at the start were, um, as you say, Edward Bernays and Walter Lippmann. And what they both sort of advocated um, is appealing to the, the herd sensibilities of, of people. They noticed that, you know, you get people into crowds, you get people all sort of in one sort of psychological direction and they're far more malleable and they're far more easy to uh, manipulate, particularly when they don't realise that they are being manipulated. And one of the sort of key facets that both of them uh, promoted uh, in their own way was either the uh, the manufacture or the engineering of consent and what this is is just broadly you know the the, the most basic explanation of it is it's the defining of uh, norms the defining of societal status quos anyway sorry so the manufacture of consent which is essentially the sort of the, the concept of creating norms like what is normal um, societal roles, the man is the breadwinner, uh, the man should be masculine, the woman should be demure, any of these sort of, sort of things. And, and, and these, these are social control elements that are used. Um, Walter Lippmann actually took it a step further. He, he noticed that basically people make their decisions upon their informed knowledge of a situation. And essentially, 
uh, pictures in their heads. And the example that, that he gives is a concept of what is gold? What do people assume that gold looks like? So, so you know, it's a lump of yellow metal. So if somebody finds a lump of yellow metal that for all intensive purposes they assume is gold, they will react as if they've found a great big nugget of gold. They'll be happy or whatever. So where have they got that picture in their head? of what gold looks like. Where do we get this concept of authority? Where do we get this, this concept of you must listen to the police, you must listen to teachers, you must listen to so-and-so because uh, authority is imbued with knowledge? Where, where do we get these concepts? Well, we get them from the actual elite. They sort of disseminate these things as the established norms and use concepts like the term isolationist or whatever to, um, to actually sort of, um, you know, to, to, to drive other people out. And, and, you know, nobody wants to be isolated and, and, and on their own. Um, and an example of that, just to sort of bring it to, to, so that people can understand it, is the concept of, uh, of a terrorist, for example. Because a lot of people would immediately know um, uh, what a terrorist looks like or what they assume a terrorist looks like. There's numerous sort of comedies like uh, that, that utilize the, the concept of a terrorist, like Soul Plane is one. Like these two Arab guys get on a plane and, and the joke is, my God, they must be terrorists because they're Arabs, they've got turbans, they've got beards, they're wearing, you know, the, the baggy clothing and stuff like that. All right. But again, and we know that that's nonsense. We know that that's a stereotype and, and it's not true. Where does that stereotype come from? Well, it's no accident, I don't think, that basically sort of during the, the, the mid-90s, there was, there was a, a definite shift in movies, in films and stuff like that, from Russians being the enemy um, to um, Mus uh, Muslim or Middle Eastern fellows uh, being uh, the enemy. I mean, particularly like in the Rambo films. The Rambo films, in the second Rambo film, he actually, the Taliban uh, fight with him, which is an interesting thing, against the Russians. And then later on, you know, you're getting films like Executive Decision, uh, where the, 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 the uh, terrorists are a Muslim or True Lies, uh, where, uh, where they're, they're Muslim or uh, Courage Under Fire or The Siege or, or various things like that. I, I believe even in the West Wing, they would, uh, after 9-11, they, they did, a, they did a, a show where they compared the, the hate. They basically said that the terrorists, it was a biblical thing. And they, and they, they basically, hook, line and sinker went along with the official story of that the only reason for this is that A, that, that uh, terrorists did it, Osama bin Laden did it, which is nonsense, and B, that the only reason they did it is because they hate the West. Uh, and so, you know, you get this, these sorts of things still. Edward Bernays, as I say, he utilised the concepts of the, of the press release. One of his most famous um, outings was uh, Torches of Freedom, which uh, people, people might know. Um, it's the concepts of Lucky Strike cigarettes, where basically... It used to be incredibly taboo for ladies to uh, to smoke cigarettes, particularly in public. It was considered a masculine um, pursuit, and it, w it was terribly uncouth for, for a young lady to be seen smoking cigarettes. And so, obviously, that market was not available to the tobacco industry, so they employed Edward Bernays. What he did was he, he got a load of very attractive young debutantes, and on his signal, they all whipped out a lucky strike uh, and um, lit it. He also got his friend in the uh, the newspaper to, to uh, turn up. I think it was the New York Times, uh, and basically they um, they publicised it under the, the banner uh, "Torches of Freedom." Feminists go out and uh, smoke as a sign that they are uh, of equality, and so it was promoted that they. I mean, none of these girls were doing anything of the th of the sort. They they were just there because they've been paid to be there and been paid, you know, to to, to follow Bernays' instructions. 
But, but the public, because this was a new thing, thought that this was a genuine organic news story. And so why would they question it? They take on all the information. It's a subtle form of hypnotism, really, because it's, it's like a deceit. If you don't think that you're being fooled, you can go in sort of in the back door, if you know, and you, you're basically straight at the, con- uh, the, the subconscious. Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it because you don't want to believe. You want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.